19, and I'm not going to read the whole text. I just want to highlight a few verses because we don't have time really to read the entirety of the text. And for the most part, most of us, this is going to be a very familiar passage. But this is, this is what we call uh, Palm Sunday, or in your Bibles, probably marked at the beginning at verse 28, is a, a demarcation at some, something like mine, tri the triumphal entry of Jesus. So this is, this is that moment when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And he said he's, he's going on up to Jerusalem, but he's actually descending down the Mount of Olives. He sends two of his disciples ahead. He says, I need you to fetch a uh, young colt and untie it and bring it. Say, tell him that the master needs it. And so then he makes his way uh, into Jerusalem. But I would need you to note the fact that he, as he's approaching Jerusalem, he's actually coming down. He's descending into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Um, later, uh, there, there is this incredible moment that begins to occur where we have, as he's descending, verse 27, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for the miracles which they had seen, all of them shouting, blessed is the king. Take note of that. They want a king, but they have a very specific definition of a king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd. Now, again, this route would have taken them into Jerusalem right by the temple. Uh, most scholars believe that these Pharisees came out from worship in the temple and said, this is my paraphrase, tell them to be quiet. We're doing holy stuff in here. Okay? Jesus said even if they are quiet, the stones will cry out. But then as he approaches Jerusalem, uh, he saw the city and he wept for it. He said, if you had only known uh, the things which make for peace, the word peace being shalom, wholeness, all the broken pieces put together, everything made whole, that is the word shalom, not just an absence of conflict. But now it's been hidden from your eyes. And he goes on to weep in this proclamation that you missed the very hour of your visitation. The title I've given the message this morning is Cloaks and Tears, where we actually find Jesus. It was a lot of years ago I was serving a congregation. In fact, I ran into a, a young lady yesterday who I remember her as a barely a high school student who just graduated um, and was heading off to Huntington College, now married. Her pastor's pastor, her husband's a pastor, and she had a little girl, you know, running behind her in the grocery store and turned to her daughter and said, oh, this is Pastor Ben. A long time ago, he used to be my pastor. I said, yeah, that's actually true. That was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, but during that time, we were experiencing what I would call a lot of favor in, in that congregation. And I, could, I, I don't have time to go into reasons why I believe that was true, but there were a lot of, there was, a, there was a, this um, uh, synthesis of a lot of different things that were happening. And it, the, the point being, 
it, it could be said we were the hip place in town to attend. That's actually the truth. I'm not just being coy about it. So after, after a number of years, and I hadn't been on staff that long, there was a decision made that, that you know what, we ought to, we, by this point we're having multiple services, a couple of different locations. Um, you know what, we ought to just have one service together, and wouldn't that be awesome? And I, I have to tell you, from the first moment I heard that said, something about it didn't feel right. And, you know, then, then they began to dream, oh, you know, we could fill the convention center downtown. Now, as I began to give more thought to it, the, the reason that it just didn't feel right was that it seemed like the primary reason for getting together like this was to get everybody into a room to impress ourselves with ourselves. It didn't have anything to do with, like, actually loving people. It was like, look at us. And so somehow it just it didn't, it didn't sink right, didn't feel right for me. It kind of felt like it felt a little bit like a parade. And interestingly, where we would normally show up on a Sunday morning dressed in normal casual wear, boy, on that day, you better show up looking good. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm saying? Right? So, curiously, I'm, I'm pretty sure this was the first service. It was hosted on Easter 1993. Eight months after burying our full-term son that was born on June the 16th, 1992. And again, anticipation for this service was like the hype was way up there. And, and so, you know, how awesome is it going to be, we told ourselves. So at the close of the service, um, you know, the, the, we're coming down to the close of the service, and I thought, okay, that's over. Uh, the, the pastor from the front of the platform, and by the way, I decided at that particular service, I'm going to sit in the back. Um, and as I'm sitting in the back, he was talking about how momentous of a day it was, and spontaneously he chose to grab a young lady who had, come and just wanted to share an answer to prayer in her life. The prayer in her life occurred about June of 1992. She gave birth to twins. One died in NICU in Detroit. The other one lived. And, and actually, the truth is, he had gone up to, to pray with them and minister to them because they were a part of the, an extended part of the family of the church that was attending there. Did I say that right? Family that was attending at the church. Uh, and by the way, I need to, I need to mention this. Uh, after, you know, after the service, he, he has her come up with their son, Adam, to share this momentous day. He's here. He's alive. He's well. By the way, I just I want to make sure to mention that this lady, and she could use your prayers this morning because... She's uh, looks like she's saying goodbye to her mother this morning. Her name is Debbie. And Beth looks like she's on the doorstep of heaven. Bless her heart. Um, but Debbie's a dear friend. She's, they've walked with us now for years and years. Their son, Adam, is a dear friend of our family. Has, I mean, been at all of our family gatherings. Um, but on that particular morning, as, as Debbie picked up her son and said, I want to show you guys a miracle, 
it's like somebody stuck their hand right. It's like you couldn't you could not have found a more fitting moment to just slice right through my 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 heart. I, all my defenses were gone, and the grief just started to well up in me. And uh, I, I did my best to suppress my emotions. I gave parting members, you know, parting greetings to church members that were leading. But, it, you know, it was my wife who knew something was up because I couldn't look her in the eye. And then she said, look at me. Some of you have experienced that with her. She has that gift of being able to stare down into your soul. You know what I'm talking about? And she, she grabbed a couple of confidants and friends who just quickly came to console me and encourage me. And if memory serves me right, I don't know who it was that that whether it was, I, I don't know, if, I don't think it was Denise, but somebody prompted, you know, this, this mentor pastor of mine and sought him out who came to find me. And, and this, this man who was so known for being caring and sensitive came to me and looked me in the eye and assured me this was not the time to be so emotional. This is time to rejoice. You're being ripped off. And I was allowing the devil to steal something from me in that moment, and he prayed for me pretty much in that same manner. Now, I have to tell you that other than his absence before, during, and after the induced labor and delivery of our son Dylan, because he was on holiday an hour away, I can honestly say I was never felt so emotionally abandoned by the person I had trusted to meet me and to care for me. I had nothing to say. I, I was being shamed for my grief. So, just so you know, the most impactful moment of that day occurred about 20 minutes later, 30 minutes maybe, something like that. We're on our way to Denise's folks for Easter lunch. And I said, I gotta stop. We stop at the cemetery. And uh, of course, Denise was concerned that I actually embraced that grief in that moment. So I'm coming up and I'm standing there at our son's gravestone. And then there is a two year old son of mine at the time who now has a two year old daughter who has a very similar amount of energy that he had when he was two. And he, he saw the sadness on my face. And he came and he jumped up and down on his headstone. Not mockingly, he just, but joyfully, he looked up and he said, Dad, Dylan's okay. Something like that. I don't remember what, exactly all the wording. But my point is this. It was like the voice of Jesus to my heart in that moment. That beloved, was the triumphal entry of Jesus. Coming to embrace me with truth where I was at. Is everybody tracking with what I just shared? Okay. Now, I have to admit it's, it's taken me time to work through what happened earlier in the day, being shamed for grieving publicly, being told in no uncertain terms, you're missing Jesus. The truth, beloved, is this. Jesus meets us, not in the fanfare, 
actually where we are. In our tears and in our vulnerability, that's where he meets us. And my former colleague had bought into something that isn't uncommon. You know, that easy conclusion that Jesus is most visible in our perceived strength. Look what we're doing. Our accumulated success. So you need to be cautious that you don't rain on that parade with your weakness. And so we keep our cloaks covering our weakness and our pain and our fear or our brokenness. But parades are like that, aren't they? Parades are intended to showcase our strength, not our weakness. Palm Sunday today. Now, again, it shows up on the church calendar. It's a good thing for us to do. Uh, Palm Sunday is a day that uh, a lot of church janitors cringe, even anticipating the day, because that's the day that all those kids are going to tear out those little leaves and leave them everywhere. And and parents of young kids cringe because they're going to be peeling out palm leaves out of the back seats of their cars for months. But why palm branches? Well, in ancient Eastern culture, palm branches were the sign of victory, strength, and peace. I mean, we just had the Olympics, right? You just look at it. It dates all the way back. You know, this is the sign of victory. Luke records his account of, of what we call Holy Week, Jesus' descent into Jerusalem. And I, interesting, I've heard countless retellings of, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, being recognized as a king. And again, now, history tells us that Rome already knew what the Jews were thinking about. No, they're saying, ha, there's our king. Who's going to take care of that king? Now, Rome already knew this. They knew that the Jews were rehearsing prophetic passages like out of Zechariah. So they provided... Out of anticipation, you know, Passover's coming. Oh, yeah, that's that time they think they're going to take over. And so they would send the governor, the reigning ruling governor, over that whole area of Palestine into Jerusalem on that day riding on a war horse. Because of that passage in Zechariah says, here comes a king riding on a war horse. Rome said, we'll make it clear. There's one king. The governor would come riding on a war horse from the west with swords and spears and all kinds of professional soldiers surrounding him. And and historians, many of them, believe, and I, I believe rightly so, that there were actually two parades happening at the same time, one from the west, one from the east. One's a parade of power, strength, domination. The other was this, well, it looked like a flower power 70s parade from, you know, coming from the, what direction, the east? It's this peace parade. 
Rome's parade was worthy of the nightly news. Jesus' peace parade, it, it just looked like a protest movement. But this protest movement, they're looking for a king that's going to overcome and dominate that other king. And so they celebrate that moment. They're saying, oh, here's a king. What do we do when we get a king? We don't have to trust. We can trust that king, not ourselves. It's going to be a triumphal moment. So what do they do? They throw off their cloaks and lay it down before this king because they're going to show that they're really into it. But there's even a, a prophetic picture in that of them throwing down those cloaks because for most of them, that represented a, a good deal of their own worth. I mean, it's what would protect them from the elements. It, would, it was there that represented, for some of them, their role in life. And so they're, they're throwing down their cloaks in this parade of peace, displaying a vulnerability. And by the way, they're th putting their cloaks down in front of a donkey that's walking along that could wind up, you know, in the mud or worse. They're okay with the, vulner the vulnerable position that they're putting themselves in because the moment's come. And then, and then, and then there's, so, so you got these cloaks that Luke records, and then he also talks about tears. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit, mo in, in just a, a few moments. But the tears, the tears for Jesus are not because they didn't shout loud enough. His tears are because the hearts of men and women are that are there believe they're joining a parade of power through domination. Because their only imagination about power is domination, overcoming, and killing their enemies. And Jesus all along has been saying, love your enemies, forgive them. Actually, that's what the kingdom is going to look like. That's what he rehearses on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the church has said. Oh, yeah, as we come to this pivotal moment, we need to be reminded, what, that there's a new imagination that God gave us, that the world can be refounded, not through power and domination, but through love and forgiveness and giving. That sounds like something that can preach. Beloved, the good news that we proclaim today is that Jesus' entry into human life is the triumphal entry that meets us at the place of vulnerability. It is the path of peace. His entry is about bringing good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, giving sight to the blind, releasing the captive, letting the oppressed go free. The triumphal entry of Jesus is including the outcast, setting a place at the banquet for the unacceptable, forgiving sinners, loving our enemies, giving life to the dead. Everywhere that Jesus goes, he tramples the cloaks that people trusted but hid the ability for them to even know the fullness of his life. Everywhere he goes, he reveals new life, new hope, new imagination. And he calls it the kingdom. Now, those palm branches, we mentioned them. Interestingly, Luke doesn't record them. It doesn't mean that they weren't there. Don't, mis don't misunderstand me. You know, Matthew and Mark catch that. But Luke never talks about them. And, and interestingly, 
as we look at it, and we call it the triumphal entry. The truth is, it really doesn't look all that triumphant. It's this, you know, he's riding on this. Wait, it's not a stallion. The governor's riding on a stallion. He's riding on a barred colt. There's no army bearing weapons. They're just, they're just people singing. There's no banners, no insignias, no demand for recognition. They're just throwing cloaks on a path that's descending down into Jerusalem. And, and if you go a bit farther in the gospel, you begin to see Jesus is actually weeping. So as you see Jesus' descent literally and figuratively into Jerusalem, you're getting a picture uh, of, of what to expect. See, when we hear the word triumph, we're thinking, oh, domination, they won the fight, high fives. But that doesn't happen. Jesus is weeping. There's no victory speeches. The triumph of Jesus is about revealing the fullness of life. Jesus is about meeting us where we actually are. So what about those things? You know, no, no palm branches, just cloaks and then tears. Well, the cloaks I mentioned earlier represent human life. And for them, for many of them, it represents everything that they've been able to accomplish. And they're throwing them down in front of Jesus. And in some instances, you might even say becoming potential manure capture. But, but why are they doing that? Well, they're thinking we've got a military messiah. But Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of something else. It's when we choose to stop trusting ourselves and lay down our what we trusted in that he begins to make entry into our lives. You following me? Jesus meets us when we choose vulnerability, beloved. God's entry into human life, beloved, please capture this. His entry into humanity is always in the place of vulnerability. He descends from heaven into the womb of Mary. He's born into a little manger in Bethlehem amongst in, the, in a little cattle stall, little cave. It, that's the triumphal entry of God into humanity. But everywhere that Jesus' life intersects with other individuals, it's the, that's the place of his triumphal entry. And what he does is he tramples down the cloaks that people have trusted in to reveal the fullness of heaven. He reveals life, hope. And new possibilities. And he, this is how he does it. Not through domination or control. This is something that we've got to get rewired in us. Oh, God, I, that's going to be awesome when we're the people in charge. Actually, he's already figured that one out. He has a king, and he's already seated him on a throne. His name is Jesus. And he reveals his power through forgiveness and love. On a cross, by the way, he's not changing that. There's not a new format. That's how he's coming. How he came is how he's coming. So he redefines triumph in life by the life that he lives and the death that he offers. See, for us, triumph looks like escaping vulnerability, risk. For Jesus... Triumph looks like embracing our vulnerability 
and in, in finding him in that place. He enters the places that we want to avoid. God's transformative presence and healing comes when we are open and vulnerable before him, when we lay down the cloaks. And to the extent that we try to cloak, cover up, and hide our vulnerabilities, the tender, the, the broken, the painful places of our lives, we deny the triumphal entry. You know, interestingly, right after this, Jesus goes into the temple at which we call the cleansing of the temple. But what he's really trying to point to, I, to me, I just see another, this continued theme of, like, you guys, you, you, there, there's this parade. It's got to end. I'll meet you when you open your lives. See, when, when we choose, see, to say, oh, wait a second. You, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the fact that all of us live with fears and anger, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're covering, whether it's fear, anger, or guilt, regret, uh, 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 shame, the, the perfectionism, the, the pride, the prejudice, our need for approval. I mean, you fill in the blank. We all have these little cloaks that we try to wear to present something better to other people when we lay them down, though, beloved. Beloved, that's the place where God can meet us. Every cloak we wear, hear me, is a separation. The invitation of Palm Sunday is, let's lay them down. The real triumph of, of Palm Sunday is when we throw down our cloaks before Jesus, and those cloaks become the, the path of Jesus' triumphal entry into our life. When we stand absolutely vulnerable and exposed, God meets us with his life and with his love. Amen? All right. Last thing I, I, I want to point to is, is, is this issue of the tears, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Oh, by the way, okay, yeah, let's just take this, because I want you to see this. This isn't just like an, ooh, cool thought, Pastor. I want you to notice something. Y you remember the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they found out they were naked? They're like, oh, I feel ashamed. I'm going to go cover myself, right? Yes, my, right? And, you know, the sort of humorous side is they chose fig leaves, which actually are kind of itchy, to be honest. It's the truth. I mean, so they, they weren't even covering themselves that good. What does God do? Do you get all disgusted about their fig leaves? He goes and looks for them. And then he says, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we're ashamed. Who told you that? Who are you listening to? Oh, wait a second. Watch this. Watch this. Um, it's at the beginning of the book, and at the very end of the book, we hear these common themes. You, you see Adam and Eve trying to hide themselves, and then John hears at the end of, of, of the scripture, John's got this revelation, right? And he's hearing voices in heaven. And he's hearing the voice of Jesus that says, um, if you're hungry, thirsty, or naked, come to me. You don't need to hide. That's what the tears were about. I love the way the Passion Translation translates verse 42. If only you could recognize that this day, peace is within your reach. Because peace is a person. 
It's not a method. It's not something you accomplish. It's a person. That way of peace is a person. His name is Jesus. Beloved, uh, what my two-year-old son at the time understood without any theological training is what Jesus is, is trying to reveal there in, in, on the descent into Jerusalem, that Jesus meets us where we are if we'll allow him to. He is the peace that every person is shouting, Hosanna, that they're longing for. He's that peace. He's the peace that our hearts long for. So the peace that Adam and Eve are looking for, that same guy is saying in heaven, come to me. I'll clothe you. I'll give you something to eat. I'll, I'll give you something to drink if you're thirsty. That's the proclamation. Come to me. You may have tears of loneliness, but he'll meet you with the tears of comfort right where you are. And that, beloved, is indeed good news. Amen? The good news that we proclaim is that Jesus' entry into human life is the triumphal entry. And his invitation is for us to lay down our cloaks, to allow him to meet us, to allow his tears to meet our tears. Everywhere he goes, he reveals new life and new hope. Beloved, I want to invite you, if you would, to uh, stand with me. We're going to close with this prayer and then bring us to the table. Because, beloved, I just want to say this. I, I, I don't ever want to tire of, of proclaiming this. Peace is a person whose name is Jesus. He is not accusing. He is not shaming. The voice of accusation that blames you in the middle of the night and that blames you during the day, the day is that's blinding you to actually what's true. That voice of accusation is the voice that's accusing. Jesus said there is an accuser, and he's overcome him, and he overcame him by a cross and by resurrection. So I want to invite you, let's pray this prayer together. Can we pray this together? Giver of light, your steadfast love endures forever. Open our hearts to the blessed one who comes so humbly on a borrowed colt. Open before us the gates of your justice that we may enter, confessing in heaven and on earth that Jesus is Lord. Amen? So as we come to the table this morning, I'm going to invite you to come. Our proclamation is about the freedom that he's brought. So I want to pray a quick prayer over us. I want to invite you to come as you feel led. Feel free to come and just uh, and take one of the uh, communion cups and wafers here. Um, just take it as you feel led to take it. If you came prepared to give, thank you. 